Well, last July, I was playing soccer. I was playing some pickup soccer on a Friday night at the Woodland Hills High School field. And at the conclusion of the game, I noticed that I had some pretty significant knee pain. Now, as a a 40-year-old man, I just assume this is, you know, the usual soreness of muscles that I'm not used to using. Uh, You know, when I I have that kind of level of activity, I find that my muscles the few days afterwards kind of scream at me a bit. But after a few days, the soreness didn't really decline in my knee. And I, you know, kept babying it, walking up steps was... um, it wasn't painful, but it kind of felt like my knee might go out. And, uh, but I was opting for that wait-and-see approach. And then finally, I had a couple months later uh, my physical, my annual physical with my PCP, and uh, she encouraged me to, to sign up for physical therapy. And this was my first experience with PT. I'd never had PT before. Now, the, f- the physical therapist gave me some exercises to work on at home. But what was surprising to me about that experience and those exercises is that not a single one of those exercises had anything to do with my knee. I I didn't have any knee-strengthening exercises. All of them had to deal with uh, strengthening my my bottom and strengthening and increasing mobility in my, my hips. Because she said that my pain in my knee wasn't ultimately, it didn't have anything to do with my knee but it was due to deficiencies in other muscle groups, other areas of my body. And so when our bodies are weak in one area, the areas that are strong will often work more. They'll work harder. They'll overcompensate to make up for that deficiency. Now, as this happened, I was thinking, this is a really great metaphor for our spiritual lives. I know many of you have heard me compare our faith to, you know, a muscle, like going to the gym, right? Yeah, it breaks down, uh, and then it regrows stronger. And, and there's something to be said about that. But as I was thinking about this connection with physical therapy, the truth is many of us are walking around with deficiencies in some area of our spiritual health. But we seem to be doing okay, because there are areas of strength and spiritual vitality that are overcompensating for those areas of weakness. But I think what we ultimately want in our spiritual lives is holistic. Right? We want to be to- you know, whole- completely a wholeness in that spiritual health. This morning, we're beginning a new series that's going to look at the spiritual disciplines. I think these are a lot like the exercises that a, a physical therapist might provide targeting certain areas of our spiritual health. And so over the next 12 weeks, we're going to look at a variety of disciplines, a variety of exercises that have been practiced in the church for centuries. And the goal of this series is to stretch our understanding, put new tools in our toolbox so that we can have a balanced spiritual life with the Father. Um, We're going to be following, uh, some of you I know have had this book and read through this book, um, a book called uh, Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. Um, this, this book, my, my dogs loved this book because they chewed the corner of it as well. Uh, but in it, he describes 12 different practices. And, and this isn't exhaustive. This isn't all the spirituals. These aren't all the spiritual disciplines out there. But I do believe it's a good cross-section of the different disciplines that we could pursue. And, and Foster breaks these disciplines into three different categories. And so for the next four weeks we're going to start with what he calls the inward disciplines. 
Then we'll move to what he calls the outward disciplines. And then finally, the corporate disciplines. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Foster. He's very different. Uh, his background is very different from myself. I know many people who have been challenged and blessed by his book. Um, Foster actually comes from a tr- the, the Quaker tradition, um, which probably most of us have, know very little about. Uh, but it is a, it's a uh, very kind of spiritually aware Christian tradition, denomination. And, and I think it can be beneficial for us to, to grow and learn from traditions that are outside of our own. So let's, let's jump into things here. The opening sentence of Foster's book, it's very apt, says this. He says, quote, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I don't know if that resonates with you. It it does so with me. And I'm reminded that Foster penned those words in 1978. We see how quickly culture moves and changes, and if that was true in 1978, I have to imagine how much truer it is some 45 years later. As followers of Jesus, what is our call in the world? How do we be deep people that both love God and love others? And I think the spiritual disciplines can help us in a frenetic, frantic, fast-paced culture to slow down, to provide that depth that we need to our souls. So before we get into the particular discipline that we're looking at this morning, which is going to be meditation, I just want to make a few general comments kind of by way of introducing the series about the disciplines. And first of all, the disciplines are for all of us, not just the spiritual elites. Right? We have a tendency to read the scriptures or look at church history and look at the saints of the past and put them on pedestals, thinking that their devout lives, their sanctified lives are somehow out of reach for you know, those of us that are just the commoners, the spiritual commoners. But it's not what the Bible teaches. James, speaking about prayer, says this in his letter, James 5, uh, 17, I may read 18 as well. It says, Elijah, probably one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Right? Elijah was a man just like us. He did incredible things, not not because of any skills of his own, but because he was connected to the living God. Foster puts it this way, quote, God spoke to the saints of the past not because they had special abilities, but because they were willing to listen. Will we be a people who are willing to listen to what God is doing in and through us? These disciplines are for us as well. Second is this, these disciplines are going to be tough. In the past, when I've gone through these before, I have to tell you, of these 12, my nemesis is solitude. I struggle with solitude. I once had an assignment in seminary where I had to have three hours of solitude. I couldn't do it. I I gave up. I'll, I'll be honest. I gave up. I didn't tell my professor I gave up, but I gave up. It was torture for me. 
But I want to encourage you to find ways to stick with it. And in fairness, in fairness to me, like out of the gate being like, let's just do three hours of that might have been a little bit of, of a challenge uh, for me, right? Because if you're, if you're setting up an experiment, let's go to the world of empirical science. If you, if you have an experiment that you're trying to prove something and you fail once, you don't just give up, right? You go back to it. You take what you've learned and you try again. And so I want to encourage you that as we go through these disciplines, if you try them and they're hard and you fail, that's okay, right? Try again. Try something different. Give, your, give yourself chunks of time that are reasonable to manage. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm going to totally butcher the quote, but wasn't that something that uh, uh, Edison said about the light bulb, right? He just found like X number of ways that didn't work. And that's kind of what we're doing. If you find something that doesn't work, that's okay. Try again. That, and that's, man, the gospel is good. We've got grace failure is okay in God's kingdom. He gives us grace that we can try again. You know, I, I remember thinking about the difficulty of these disciplines, finishing up a physical therapy appointment. I called Sarah on the phone, and I was like, I'm exhausted. Like, I remember thinking, like, why am I so tired? Like, I didn't actually do anything. I was just doing a few stretches. But when I was focusing on these simple stretches, these simple exercises, they targeted muscle groups that were weak, that were underdeveloped. And so even the basic stuff was leaving me winded. Stick with the disciplines. While they're difficult, I, I, I believe, I guarantee, take it to the bank. You're going to see, you're, if you stick with it, you're going to see growth, just like physical therapy does. Thirdly is this, these disciplines, they aren't just a set of religious duties. What I don't want you to do in this series is I don't want you to go home and be like, all right, if I don't do X, Y, and Z, you know, somehow like God's disappointed in me. Or like, I've got to do this. I like, I have no desire to do it. Now, you know, there is a point we need to push ourselves a little bit. Like sometimes you don't always have joy in everything that you do for the Lord. And, you know, there is that element of, you know, like fake it till you make it. Uh, I, I do believe that God is faithful that joy comes. And sometimes it can be challenging. But right, you don't have to do any of these. Right? This, there's not an assignment. I, I'll have reflection questions where I encourage you to do stuff, but you don't have to. Your status with God is not based upon you. He's not more fully, he's not more satisfied, doesn't love you more if you do him and loves you less if you don't. He is fully satisfied in you or with you in Christ. We're just called to intimacy with Christ. That is our calling. And I'm hopeful that these things can, can do so. But don't, I, I hope that they don't just become an obligation that you have to do. And closely associated with this is that it's, th these aren't just done by the force of the will, right? Because the disciplines in and of themselves don't do anything to change us. The goal of the disciplines is not to change us. The goal of the disciplines is to give space for God to change us. It's like planting a garden, and we've got some gardeners out there. You cannot with any inch of success, force your crops to go. You just can't. But what you can do is you can create an environment that is hospitable to the growing of crops. You can make sure that the ground is weeded, make sure the seeds get plenty of sun and water. So think of the disciplines as like cultivating the soil of your heart, or the soil of your soul, right, to assist the work God's doing in us. So those are some introductory comments about the disciplines. And I want to make sure that we say up front, because I don't want you to just like give up, or throw in the towel, or be like, man, these things are the worst. I'm a failure. With all that being said, so let's start with the first discipline, meditation. 
This is how Foster defines meditation. The ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. That's what he says meditation is, the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. And there are a lot of different ways you can hear his voice. I'm not just, he's not just talking about hearing an audible sound like Samuel, the prophet Samuel. Meditation ultimately is about listening to God and obeying what you've heard. I think this is something we desperately need in our age. Once again, 45 years ago, this is what Foster wrote. In contemporary society, 1978, think about how much more this is true in 2023. In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. I was sharing this with Sarah the other night, and she was like, I feel like that just describes our house, right? Noise, busyness, chaos. Meditation is about creating space in our schedules to step away from those things so that we can be still, as the scriptures say, be still and know God. Meditation was a practice that was frequently described in the Old Testament. In fact, I didn't even notice it whenever I was picking that call to worship, but the call to worship talks about meditating in the Lord as one generation passes those things to another. The Hebrew people are told to listen to God's word, to reflect on his works, to rehearse his deeds, to ruminate on his law. They 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 were to take time to process and ingest what it is that God had done around them what it meant for their lives, both spiritually but also physically as well. And the focus on these times was always about a change in our behavior, on their behavior. We don't just take time so that we can check a box off our our list to be like, yep, I did it. But to listen to God's voice and to obey him and to seek his transformation in us. This is something we see in the New Testament that Jesus practiced quite often. Matthew chapter 14, we see one of many times where Jesus retreats from the crowds. Matthew 14, 13 says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. This isn't just something that he does to get away from people. He's not just taking his overstimulated psyche to retreat into silence. I'm sure there's an element of that. But part of it, Jesus retreats to be with the Father. He retreats to to receive his goodness and guidance for another day. And if Jesus as God in the flesh needed that connection with the Father, how much more so do we need it? Now, as I've been talking about meditation, I do, I want to take a brief aside because I want to, I want to comment a little bit about the differences between Christian meditation and Eastern meditation. Because as I say words like meditation, you might have a series of images that come to mind. In our culture, the, the physiological and mental benefits and things like yoga and Buddhist meditation have been seen and popularized in our culture. And, and there's, there are health benefits to those things, but they're not the same thing as Christian meditation, right? Because Eastern meditation is all about emptying of the mind, finding that state of Zen, At its core, it's to be detached from the world. The goal of Buddhism is to be free from pain and suffering. And so for worldviews like these, you have to lose yourself to be merged with the cosmos. And so the key word in Eastern meditation is emptying. 
And I wouldn't say Christian meditation is the opposite, but I would say that it go, takes that one step further. There may be things in your mind that you need to purge or disconnect from, but ultimately, what Christian meditation is about is about filling, filling your mind, filling your soul with Christ. Luke 11, this is a little out of context, but it fits, I think, with, with the thematics of what's going on here. Luke 11, Jesus tells the parable of a person being delivered from a demon. So Luke eleven twenty four to 26, he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I'm going to return to the house that I came from. And when it comes, it finds the house, right? Empty, swept, and clean, and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The, the principle that, that Jesus is talking about here is you have to remove the bad, we purge those things. We empty those things. But it is essential that you then fill that space with the good, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, with Christ in us. Foster put it this way, in meditation we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. We create space for Christ to build something different, good, new in us. It's about our transformation through that work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, purging that which is bad, but replacing it with what's good. The purpose of meditation is not just about improving the quality of our lives. It's not just about lowering our stress, though it might do that, but it's about communion, connection with God, because we cannot commune, we cannot be in God's presence and not be changed by Him. So how do we do this? Let's try to kind of switch gears a little bit and turn to the practical of meditation. And so if this concept is new for you, like, you might not know where to start. So I want to just give some, some basic suggestions for how to get started, and then give some, after some, some of those suggestions, give some samples, some examples of what Foster lists in his book of what that could look like. So let's start with the time. When? When should I meditate? When should I do this? I don't know. There's no right answer. It's important. I can tell you it's important to set aside time somewhere in the day, but do it when you're freshest, right? You, if your alarm goes off in the morning and you, you know, stay in bed and you want to meditate there and you're going to, like, fall back asleep, probably not the best time to do it. Right? Some people like to connect with God in the morning. Some people at night. You know, th there, I I'll tell you, in the morning, there is chaos in my house with everybody getting ready to go to school, go to work, all those places. And so I prefer, I, I can't do it first thing when I wake up. I prefer to, and frankly, I'm not at my best. I, I'll be honest. There have been times where I've tried to like wake up and like do a devotional or read the scriptures. And I'm just like, I, it, I read it. I read the words on the page, but it didn't permeate my soul at all. And so personally, I prefer to take some time once everyone's headed out the door um, or been picked up the, by the bus and I know that's not going to work for all of you. Like, our schedules are different. But find the time. Find time that you can prioritize, that you can be quiet and alone with God. You know what? Like, I know screens are an issue in our culture, but if you've got a kid and you're like, I can't even find a minute to myself, turn on some Bluey for him, you know, and get some of that time. How about where? Where should I meditate? 
Again, ideal place is going to be somewhere that is quiet, is free from, interrupt, from interruption. I know there uh, was a Christian movie, a few Christian movies that popularized the idea of a prayer closet. Uh, I don't know, in these old Pittsburgh homes, like there's no space. It's more like solitary confinement if you try to go into, you know, one of the, some of these, these Pittsburgh closets. But, you know, if you've got a house that's got a walk-in closet, that might be a great place. That even if there are other people in the home, you can step away from the chaos. You can be present with the Lord. I'll say this, though. Wherever you go, put your phone away. Better yet, turn it off. Leave it in another room, right? You can be unreachable for five minutes, 30 minutes, so that you can spend in quiet contemplation with God. You know, like, and and I'm I'm guilty of this. Like, most of my devotional stuff, I get by email, so it's like on my phone. Um, Again, maybe you could still do that, but find time where you put your phone away. Like reading the Bible on your phone, again, there's, there's benefits to it, but th- the truth is that studies suggest that even if we're ignoring our phones, let's just say it's off and on the table next to you, just the fact that that phone is in the same room as you, studies show that it decreases our cognitive capacity. Like our phones are quite literally making us dumber just by being in the same room with them. Honestly, that's what studies show. So that's kind of the where question. So ha- next, let's look at posture. How? Doesn't fit perfectly with how, but you know, for the sake of consistency. What, one of the goals of this discipline is to connect your body and your mind. So put yourself in a position where you can do that. Again, there's no, for all of these, there's no right way to do it. Probably a lot of wrong ways, but no right way. In the Bible, we see examples of people seeking after God, laying down, kneeling, hands folded in front of them, hands up in the air. Find a position that's comfortable for you, right? Like, not, not distracting. You know, a lot of people talk about kneeling in the Bible, and you know, I, I've got bad knees, as I talked about at the beginning. Like, that's really painful for me. So, you know, my, there might be a point where it's like you use the pain to channel that, like, God, I love you type stuff. But you know what? Like, that's distracting. And I'm focused upon, like, how much longer do I got to stay here before I can be done with this prayer so I can be comfortable again? So don't kneel if that's the problem, right? For instance, here, here's an example. You could sit in a chair, but sit with your back straight, right? Because you know what's slouching. I slouch all the time. But you know what slouching communicates. You know, give focus to the breath in, in your body. Don't cross your legs or your feet, right? Because that restricts blood flow. Sit with your palms facing up, resting on your knees. Because even that is a, is a symbol of a willingness to receive what God's doing. Again, it, it's not necessarily the best or only way to meditate, but you can see how the different elements of our posture connects with, reflects our focus and what we want to receive, what we want to communicate to and from God. All right, what should you meditate on? Meditation doesn't always lead to profound, earth-shattering thoughts. Now, it's all, it is always possible that the Lord in His, in His you know, will will see fit to give you some prophetic indication of the future of American Christianity or the return of Christ or some other monumentous occasion in His operations, but chances are that's not what God's going to reveal. You're going to be focusing on the mundane through the discipline of meditation, the goal is to, to process, to gain insights on how to live your lives, how to care for your children or your spouse, 
how to deal with the problem that you've been facing at work, to provide encouragement when you're struggling with self-worth. Foster says that meditation sends us into our ordinary world with greater perspective and balance. That's what meditation's about. Not about just receiving this prophetic, you know, let me me rephrase that. It's not about receiving this prophetic dispensation from God the way that we typically coin what prophecy is, but it is about what prophecy is in the Bible, which is about God communicating through his people, communicating through his spirit, how we should interpret the lives that we live, whether it be one of encouragement or one of challenge. Above all, be patient with yourself, especially if this is new for you. Like like I said, some of those simple PT exercises, they were difficult. They left me winded, even though I didn't feel like I was doing that much. You guys know the saying, right? Rome wasn't built in a day. Stick with it, right? Start meditation with small chunks of time, maybe five minutes, from there, you can grow. You can expand as your confidence incre- uh, increases. This is, a, this is a lifelong pursuit. You're not going to be there immediately. You can't just get off your couch and run a marathon. You can try, but not going to end very well. All right, by way of closing, four tangible examples, samples of what, uh, and this is all from Foster's book, what meditation could look like. Right, prime the pump, if you will. Not exhaustive, but hopefully you hear something that you say, ah, I, I can run with that. I like that idea, so that you can put this practice into your own life. So the first is this, and I think this is probably the most natural, the most common use of meditation, is to use the time to meditate on Scripture. This word meditate, as we find frequently in the Bible and specifically in the Old Testament, means to utter or to ruminate. Think of someone, think of that person who's walking down the street muttering to themselves. What it means is that there's a thought in their head that they just can't get out of their head. They're kind of fixated on it, turning it over and over and over again. Just keep spinning it in their head. It also has that connotation of chewing, like rolling good food around in your mouth, savoring its flavor. I want to be clear that the goal of this time is not to study the Scriptures. There's a discipline for that that we'll examine in a few weeks, study. That's not what meditation is. Meditation is not about dissecting the text, but is about ingesting the text, personalizing it. Some of you I know came to our small group last fall where we did a few weeks where we practiced this, uh, this, I would say it's a discipline of Lectio Divina, divine reading. It was a, a way of reading the scriptures that wasn't trying to like create all these associations between grammar and words, but was about what does it mean for us to immerse ourselves in the text and, and just personalize it in a way as what is God revealing to me through this text, through his word, this double-edged sword. The famous Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. He said, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the words of scripture and ponder it in your heart. That is meditation. If a friend tells you how much they appreciate you, you're not going to like break down the grammar that they, you know, that they used. You're not going to analyze the word choice, but you're going to receive that to your heart. It's going to be good to your heart for encouragement. Do the same with Scripture when it comes to meditation. Again, there's a place for studying it, but that's not what I'm advocating for this morning. Immerse yourself in the text. If the Bible tells you to be filled with peace, 
And you can talk about, like, go to the Strong's Concordance and be like, well, what does peace mean? Or you can just imagine yourself being filled with peace. You know, when I was a kid, uh, there were times that my mind would be racing and I would have trouble going to sleep at night. And so one of the things that I, that I used to do is I would lay in bed, keep my body perfectly still, and I would focus on relaxing my feet, and then my ankles, and then my shins, moving my way up my body. And I, I don't know, I had this little game. If I, like, moved a muscle at all, I would, like, start over again. I don't know, it's kind of dumb. I was young. But, you know, that, I, I think in some way, that's kind of what meditation is like. You know, if you're imagining peace, like, almost imagine. And for someone like me who's very cerebral, this is challenging. I want to acknowledge that. But imagine, like, peace flowing through your body. Don't just read it on a word, uh, on a page and think, okay, I got peace. But imagine that peace flowing through you. Here's a, a second practice. So the first was meditating on Scripture. Second practice that Foster calls palms up, or palms down, palms up. It's what the Quakers call uh, centering down. And so what this involves, this method involves sitting with good posture, with your palms open, facing down. And that symbolizes you turning over all the junk that you want to get rid of to God. Again, notice you're not just engaging your mind in this, but you are engaging your body as well. Take your concerns, release them in prayer to God, like, and specifically name them. Like, God, I give over my anger towards stew. I hand over my anxiety about paying bills this month. Jesus, I drop this bad attitude that I've had towards my family today. Right? Name it. And when you've released it, you turn your palms over so they're open and facing up, symbolizing that desire to receive from God, that filling, right? We've emptied, and now we desire to be filled his, from, with his goodness and provision. That's the second one. My third suggestion is to meditate on creation. Psalm 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. God reveals his glory in creation. So find a remote place. Again, quiet is important. Take a slow walk through Frick Park. The key word, slow. I have a tendency to walk fast, right? My, my desire, I'm efficient, and so when I'm on a walk, uh, in fact, I was talking to my, my therapist about this because she was encouraging me to, like, take slow walks, and I was like, I can't do that, right? Because it's like, I'm all about efficiency, and it's not just a twofer, it's a threefer. I go, I walk my dog, I, you know, uh, exercise my body, try to get my heart rate up a little bit. I walk, I try to walk between, like, a 14 and 15 mi minute mile, and then, um, I, I'm usually listening to podcasts, so I'm renewing my mind, and I'm like, I don't want to trade that. I don't want to get rid of that. Again, it's all engaging that, like, anyway, you, you get the point. Slow down, because if you don't slow down, you're probably not going to notice what God wants to communicate to you. Remember, Foster argued that our instant gratification is one of the spiritual enemies of our day, and we know that this breakneck speed, we know that this breakneck speed is bad for us, but we do it anyway, just like we know that fast food is terrible for us but we keep eating it because it's convenient and it tastes good. Slow down enough to be able to listen to God's voice. Look at the beauty around you. Right? Smell the flowers. Listen for the sounds of the water trickling in the brook. Right? 
Notice the critters that God has made around you. Reflect these good things back to God, highlighting His goodness. And the last one, the last suggestion is to take time to meditate on current events. The late John Stott used to say that we should preach, for preachers should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. But I think that sentiment should apply to all of us. How do we understand, how do we interpret what God is doing in our world? Slow down and receive for Him wisdom and guidance is how you should live. And I do want to acknowledge, I want to put a little asterisk on this one, because this is something that's really difficult in our age, because we, we live in a really divided, a really broken age of extreme bias on both the left and the right. Again, that's just speaking politically. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm communicating, like, don't allow Fox News, don't allow CNN to interpret the age for you. Don't get swept up in the way that the political tribes interpret things, but root yourself in the truth of God and His gospel. And that's hard, and that might mean we need to change what newspaper we're, we're reading. You know, I, I've shared with you before, I, I, lo- I like to read, especially when it comes to political politics, just because of how supercharged this is, I like to read my, my American political discourse from the Brits, right? BBC, because they, they don't have like a real, they don't have the same, I mean, I'm sure everything has bias, but they don't have that same like, you know, horse in the show that a lot of these other news agencies do. And so I find it to be a little bit more objective. Again, that's just, that's take it or leave it. That's just uh, what I do for my practice. But finding ways, because this is important as, as believers, we're, we're called to be a prophetic voice, countercultural. And so it's important for us to transcend the label of Republican or Democrat as it pertains to our faith. So I think, again, I think that's a way that you can meditate, but I want to make sure that it's Meditation isn't just like, all right, I'm reading my newspaper that's, you know, super far right or super far left, and that's telling me what I need to understand about, um, about the culture. So those are four examples. I know that many of us, for, for many of us, this might be our first foray into the world of the spiritual disciplines, um, and it's important, right? Stick with them. I can't stress that enough. Stick with it. Fail, that's okay. Get up off your horse and try again. Or whatever, you know, the expression I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm terrible with metaphors sometimes. Use this time. Right? Build a habit. Slow down. Make sure that your body, mind, and spirit have hit the pause button long enough to engage with the word of the Lord. Again, just to remind you, foster. Meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. And as I said before, that hearing can come through many different channels. And so I want to encourage you this week. Find a way to put that into practice. Right? Each week, we're going, to look at a different, we're going to look at a different discipline and make a commitment to just take a stab, sample, give it a try at one of them so that you can find new ways to alter your rhythms and routines to include them. Because I do think, much like physical therapy, if you put your attention into those spiritual disciplines, you're going to see greater spiritual health overall. All right, here are some questions to think about this week. When you hear the phrase spiritual disciplines, what do you think of? Is it a mostly positive or is it a mostly negative feeling? And why do you think that is? Again, it sounds like work. 
Of those four examples that I gave, which one resonates with you the most? And maybe what I should add to that is, all right, take, try it. You know, if one of those four was like, yes, I'm willing to try that. Do it this week. Find a time to do it. And then the last one is, I'm telling you which one to do. You don't have to listen to it. So this week, thinking about that first, the most common way of meditation, select a story of Scripture and focus on it every day. Maybe, maybe you think about, like, Jesus in the boat with the disciples, with the storm, asleep, and then he wakes up and calms the storm, and the disciples are more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm. There's all kinds of stuff in that text. But, like, read it every day and try to put yourself in the story. Learn something new experiencing the text in a new way. I had a, a, a friend in college who, I don't remember which psalm it was, one of the psalms. He read that psalm every day for like three months. That was all he focused on. And every day he was bringing some new kind of uh, a facet of it. So it's just a, a, a way that you can do that. Let's, uh, why don't you join me in prayer and then we'll close with, uh, with singing one last song. Lord, as we step into this world of the spiritual disciplines. May you take this effort that we provide, this effort that we put to, to uh, your, your purposes and your use. May you honor it and may you multiply those efforts before us, knowing, God, that we don't change ourselves through these disciplines, but that we want to create space so that we can hear you. We don't want to just be uh, running around in this culture kind of knowing in some sense in our head, in our brain, what you teach. But God, we want to hear your voice. We want to know that we are loved. We want to know that we are provided for, that we are guided. Lord, may this practice of meditation open the scriptures, open our prayer life to you in new ways, that we might hear your word and be people that are obedient to that word. Guide us in this in your grace. Amen.